If this is your first time here, um, we just want to say welcome and that we love you and that um, we're so thankful that you're here. Uh, we get to be something that Jesus himself only has made possible, which is called the church. Church isn't a building. Um, church is a people that have gathered together in the name of Jesus. And so the church isn't so much this as it is this across. And so if this is also your first time here, we've been going through a series um, on the life of Joseph um, from the Old Testament. Many of you know um, the story of him. We have someone who is born um, of Jacob's family. He was given kind of the promises through dreams of leading his family and leaving the nation. And then he was sold by his brothers to Egypt. And last week when we looked at the story, we looked at the beginning of his time in Egypt after he was sold by his brothers. What a nice family, amen? Um, but what it says is that he began to get favor by the way that he pursued the Lord. And it said the Lord granted him favor in the eyes of Potiphar. Potiphar was the name of the official that was the Egyptian. And we're going to continue on that story. But I think just to kind of refresh our memory, we're going to read those verses, those first verses that we looked at last week to even pick up the story right where it's at. And so if you're in chapter 39, go ahead and look at verse 2. And this is what um, God's word says. Speaking of Joseph's time in Egypt, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So he was promoted. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So there's extreme favor. He's getting promoted. And that's where we pick up the story. And when it says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And can I just pause for a minute? Because I just need to get a name into this. If the Bible testifies to how good looking you are, you must be something. Amen. <laughs> it's eternal truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Joseph will always be good looking. Amen. And it says that Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, after things are going, it said that his master's wife, Potiphar, his wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. And he said, with me in charge, he told her. And this is one of the first long, concentrated passages where we hear Joseph speaking on his own. This is the first one because most of it is just describing him. But this is the first time he's talking. And this is what he says. With me in charge, he told her, my master, Potiphar, doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. He says this, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed 
with her or even be with her. Potiphar's wife is making her move. Joseph is someone who is good looking, but not only more than that. When you're functioning in the fullness of God's promise and the fullness of God's favor and blessing on your life, people notice that. And Potiphar's wife noticed that and wanted to take advantage of that. And so you see her asking this question, but you even see Joseph's response. It wasn't simply just no or no, that's wrong. But he recognized the position he was in. You're, my master trusts me, and he has entrusted everything to me. He took that upon himself as something. And then he would say something so profound is he would say, how could I do such a thing against God? I love that. I love that part of it because what it means is this. He's not just doing that for Potiphar, even though it is for Potiphar to honor him. Joseph recognizes that it's between him and God in this. And ultimately, at the end of the day, no matter what we do in this life, there will be people in between, but ultimately it's us and God for the reasons that we do the things that we do. People are definitely affected by it, but at the end of the day, if it's down to you and God. Joseph recognized that, and in that, that's where he found the source of strength to make the right decision and to say no to someone like her. And what I love about that as well is that it wasn't just no one time. What it says here is that she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he continued to refuse. That it wasn't a one-time decision, but rather it was a posture of his heart that carried him day after day. How many of you would like to have a posture in your heart before God that would carry you through temptation day after day? Because that's what God offers to each and every one of us. And then I love it, even would have the wisdom to say, it says, he refused to go to bed with her. And then it says, or even be with her. And there is wisdom in that as well, because not only, he's not putting himself in a situation where he could be compromised, where he's one step away from committing that sin, but instead wisdom tells him, I need to avoid her. Amen? She trouble. Amen? And that's what wisdom is. It's looking at trouble ahead of time and saying, you know what? Why am I in this situation that I'm in? I shouldn't even find myself in this situation. Because oftentimes your surroundings become who you are. What do you surround yourself with? But then the story continues on as we see Joseph not only pursuing the Lord, but using wisdom in this situation, honoring God in this. But it says, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, Joseph, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out the house butt naked. When he, she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story of his wife, told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. 
He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Can you say amen to God's word? We see him functioning. We see him obeying God, being devoted to God. And then you see this grievous just act happen where he's accused of something that he has been so delicate to not do. And because of that, he's thrown into prison. And yet what you see in that as well is that he continues on in his faithfulness to the Lord. One of the interesting things about this passage too is that when you look at a lot of the stories in Genesis that involve Egypt, it usually involves someone being treated unjustly by them, but ultimately they get raised up again. And ultimately what a lot of people say is that foreshadows the Exodus story because the Israelites are a people treated unjustly by the Israelites, but ultimately God delivered them out of it. And you see that right here with Joseph. But one of the things that I love about the Bible is how it doesn't shy away necessarily from what people are going through. And it doesn't shy away from everything that goes into their decisions as well. Because when you look at the story of Joseph as a whole, from beginning to end, maybe you look at it and you see, like, well, this is a story about promise. This is a story about someone who was sold and then ultimately became the ruler over Egypt. Or this is a story about promise. This is a story about favor. And while those things are true, this is also a story of pain as well. Joseph was someone who went through a lot of pain in his life. He went through tragedy. He went through betrayal. He went through offense. He went through all sorts of pain, different kinds of it. And even though that's not necessarily the focal point of the story, nor does Joseph make that the focal point of his life, it is a story about pain as well. Because it could be easy to just look at what's happening in front rather than the depth of what was going on. You know, Joseph had a, had a premeditated posture before God, not only in who he was, but where he was in life. And I think that's important to note too because oftentimes it's like, who are you? Well, I'm a child of God and I love the Lord. But what about, and I know that God has me right here, right now. Joseph knew that he wasn't in the best of circumstances in his life at this moment. Yet he knew exactly where he was and where God was in it. And so it's not just knowing who you are, but where you are as well. Yeah, I probably don't have everything in life that I would want right now, but I got God, and I can be faithful to God, and I can live fully with God in this, even though it isn't necessarily everything, even though there is pain associated to this story. And with that, this morning, I kind of want to talk about pain more in depth um, in our lives this morning because of this. Because when you look at um, this story, even just the decisions that he made, being sold as a slave, having to make decisions before Potiphar's wife, but then being treated unjustly and sent to prison, the theme that we see in this is that he remained faithful to God. You see him remaining faithful and finding favor with Potiphar. You see him practicing abstinence. You see him obeying God by not committing adultery. But then when he's unjustly put into prison, what does it say? The Lord was with them. And the exact same thing happened in Potiphar's house. He found that same favor in prison, even though the circumstances weren't nearly as good. Pain is something that um, 
that's so prevalent in this story because when you look at Joseph's story, you think about what he went through with being sold by his brothers and being treated as a slave in Egypt. He could have easily justified saying, well, I'm just going to sleep with her because God, God's wronged me and compromised. Or compromised in his own end and said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take this sin. Or I'm going to just take part of it. But you see none of that compromise. You see a faith completely on display beforehand. Pain is something that we deal in our lives in all different shapes, sizes, and forms. Maybe it's physical pain. Maybe you're someone who has broken something, like broken a leg. Um, maybe it was for a really dumb reason. Um, but also, what if, what if you're dealing with an illness? What if you have something chronic that you're going through? There are different types of physical ailments and physical pains that we go through that play into our story and that they're pains that we have to deal with on a spiritual and emotional level, which leads to the next thing. There's emotional pain that we deal with. Maybe certain things have happened to you. Maybe certain things and certain surroundings that are happening to you that just stress you out. How many of you find school stressful? Absolutely. That's a perfect example of it. But maybe... Maybe there's something that's happened at home. Maybe something a friend has done to you. Maybe you had a friend reject you in a certain way, and it's scarred you emotionally, or it's scarred you spiritually, because things don't just happen on a physical plane. There's deep, deep things that happen in our hearts as well. As well, maybe you've been through tragedy. Maybe there's been a tragedy in your life. Maybe you've lost someone that was close to you. But also, maybe something really offensive happened to you as well. See, pain isn't just received in sorrow. Pain can be received in absolute anger. I get mad when people wrong me, but I also get sad. I don't know why it is. It just depends on the things that happen. But no matter what it is, we all have pain that, that comes into our lives, and we, we deal with it, and we respond to it in different ways. And I think that when you think about how do we respond to it, there are some different ways that we can respond to, to pain in our story and in our own lives. One is simply you can just deny it. I'm not hurting. I'm fine. I'm fine. I know that's all a wreck, but I'm fine. You know what I mean? You, you refuse to deal with it in your life. You refuse to acknowledge that it's something that requires your attention, and you kind of just put it off to the side. You kind of just store it in the back closet of your heart. The other side of it is you just bury it. You just can't handle it. You can't handle the pain, and so you just kind of put it away. I've, I've dealt with people, and I've dealt with students that literally cannot talk about certain pains in their lives because it's just too much. And so because it's too hard to process for them, they've decided to completely go 180 the other direction with it, and they push it completely out of their lives as if it doesn't affect them at all because it'd be easier to just pretend it never happened and bury it than to actually deal with it right up in front of you. The other one with it, which, which I think you can harden your heart, you can use the, that pain, whatever it may be, to influence the way that you see the world around you. Maybe something has happened to you. Maybe one person has wronged you, and the easiest way to deal with it is to develop and say, that's how all people treat me. You know what? That's how all people are. Or you see something happen, and you go, you know what? This is what the world is like. And all of a sudden, you see things like bitterness, cynicism, impatience, unforgiveness, hard-heartedness happen because you don't have to feel anything if you have a hard heart. Amen? It's easy because you just don't feel anything whatsoever. And then the other one of it, which relates to Joseph so well, is 
you can medicate it. Everybody say the word medicate. When I say that word medicate, what I mean is this. When you have a headache or you have something hurting in your life, usually take ibuprofen, Tylenol, Advil, you know, to numb the pain. But those things don't necessarily solve headaches or pains, but they just numb it for the time being until the body can figure it out. And in the same way, oftentimes we, we medicate on things in this life to deal with the own pains of our own hearts. You know, when I've talked to a lot of students, and I know from my own story, growing up when it came to things like porn, and it came to things like lusting, that it's such a difficult thing, and it's such a difficult process to walk up that God walks with you. Don't get me wrong. But one of the reasons why it's such a challenge for people is because of this. They've used it as a medication for their heart. So the minute they stop doing those behaviors and they stop diving into those things, they feel all this pain in their heart. They feel all this brokenness and they're like, I can't handle that. I don't know how to cope with myself. I don't know how to handle myself. So I'm just going to go back to that because it's a lot easier to medicate and to push that off to the side than it is to actually deal with stuff. And that's not just true of things like pornography or sexual immorality. It can be true of everyday things as well. It can be true of technology. It can be true of your phone and social media. I know for myself, the first time I did a social media fast, I felt like I spiraled into the darkest depression after. And I was like, what is going on in my life? But it was because of this. Anytime I was upset, anytime I was frustrated, anytime there was something to deal with, it was a lot easier to just watch some videos, check the feeds, and just ignore it until I fit better. Check the feeds. <laughs> hey, I got to go check my feeds. I'll be back in five. But whatever that is, there are different ways that we can medicate. Joseph was in a position where he could have medicated his pain by committing adultery. But he chose not to. And what you see in this is you don't see him guessing. He doesn't go, okay, what should I say to Potiphar's wife right now? And then he just nailed it out of the park and just rolled a Yahtzee. What happened was he had pre-already met with the Lord and said, you know what? This is my heart. This is how I feel before the Lord. And this is my answer. This is what I've already determined for my heart. Before any other human being knew, he knew. And God knew because he brought his heart before the Lord in that way. And it's so important to process it because no matter if you're someone who den who's in denial, you bury, you harden your heart, or you medicate your heart with whatever it might be, it can build up if it's not dealt with. It's like a balloon that just continues to expand and it just stretches. You're stretching yourself thin. But after a while, your capacity to deal with pain is going to blow up in one way or another. That's why when people are dealing with pain, we encourage them. We don't shame them. We understand that pain is something that we go through. But we say, but you got to deal with it. You got to deal with it here before it gets here. You might think it's shameful or hard that you have to deal with something here. But God would rather meet you here than here in your life. And I think that's where um, pain is ultimately a part of life. You know, when you think about pain, it's not just necessarily self-inflicted pain. It definitely is. That's one of the things why God asks us to obey his commands, because he doesn't want us to inflict pain on ourselves. Amen? Because we go to God, God, that looks great, and that looks like it's going to help me. And God goes, that's not going to help you. 
That's why my word says to not do that and to do this. But it's not just necessarily our own lives and our own sin, but it's just living in a broken world. Things happen around us that discourage and bring pain among us. Things happen to us in this world. And as long as we live on planet Earth, we're always going to live in a world that's susceptible to sin until Jesus comes back and writes everything. So the question isn't necessarily if we have pain or not. Because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're never going to deal with pain. But what it does mean is this. It means you know how to deal with it. Amen? Because you call on Jesus, you've been equipped and empowered to deal with your pain in a way that the world doesn't even know. It's one of the things that makes us unique about a church. Is that when the world doesn't know how to deal with pain out there, it doesn't know how to deal with suffering, it doesn't know how to deal with offense... Here is a world that's broken and continues to be broken. In here, God's people are reconciling. They're processing and they're healing, and it makes us different from the world. In fact, Paul the Apostle in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's talking about to a group of believers who are struggling because some people had, had died in their church. And he says, guys, what I need to remind you of is this. He says, we don't mourn the way that the, mor- or, we don't mourn the, way that the world mourns. We don't deal with pain the way that the world deals with pain because of Jesus in our hearts and because of what Jesus has done for us. Which is interesting because when you think about what defines you as a Christian, how many of you like the title, Deals with Pain Well? That's probably not the nicest thing to have on your resume. If you think about like in your yearbook, like President of the United States, future NBA player, deals with pain well. It's like... Oh, nice, you know? But it's, it's truly part of our identity with the Lord. And it's a powerful one in this, simply because of this alone. Jesus was someone who had to deal with suffering. Jesus, when he was fully human and knew what it meant to deal with pain. In fact, in Isaiah 53.3, it says, it would call him a man of sorrows, is what it would call Jesus. That he, deal, he dealt with the world He dealt with the weight of the world on his shoulders is what it said. That sounds like pain and pressure to me, amen? Jesus dealt with it. In fact, one word that's used to describe Jesus, you probably haven't heard this word, long-suffering. That word long-suffering means able to deal with suffering. That's what it means. That's one of the characteristics of Jesus, that he was someone who was able to deal with pain. It's like, man, he's taking the whole weight of the world on himself And the world is crucifying him. And yet, look at him standing strong in the Father's love. That's the same thing that each and every one of you have in your lives as well. And so as funny as it may be to say, deals with pain, well, how many of you would like to be known as someone who's long-suffering in the Lord? Someone who could stand in the fullness of God even amidst the most difficult things? I think one of the most interesting verses... In the entire Bible, when it comes to dealing with pain, in Mark 15, 23, Holly, if you want to put that up, it's talking about Jesus on the cross. And while he was on the cross, one of the things that they did, because being crucified was a brutal way to die. It would often take six hours at a time for the person to die on the cross, or even full days at times. And so what they would do is that they would put wine on a stick, like soaked in a cloth on a stick, and they would hold it up to the person And one of the things that they offered Jesus, they offered him wine, but they offered him myrrh. What's myrrh? Myrrh is a narcotic. And so they put it in, and they would give that to prisoners and people who were on the cross. 
and that way it could numb the pain. They offered him wine drugged with mirror, but he refused it. Do you want to know why Jesus refused it? Because he wanted to feel the fullness of the pain. Jesus didn't want to medicate the pain of the whole world's sin. He wanted to feel it fully for himself. Do you know that? Jesus wasn't about just medicating or kind of working his way around pain, but instead, it says when he went to the cross, he took the fullness of it, and he took his pain head on. And it was through the pain and it was through the cross that he found himself at the joy of the resurrection. We live in a world that prides itself on entertainment and amusement. Movies, you know, music, you think about anything. We, we enjoy kind of being entertained. Would you guys agree to that? We enjoy pleasure in that sense, that whatever pleases us is the thing that holds our heart. Oftentimes when we think about that same thing with God, God, if God's not pleasing me, then he's not speaking to me necessarily. Sometimes we fall into that training of thought. But what you see here is you see a God just taking the fullness of the pain that was meant for him. And it was through that, when you feel that magnitude of your pain, you can process it, and you can find healing in it. The pain of the cross was real and brutal, but so was the amazement and joy of the resurrection as well. And one thing I would just leave you guys with as we're going through this is this. You cannot, you can't have the joy of the resurrection without dealing with the cross You can't truly have peace in your life unless you're willing to deal with the pain that's keeping you from it. Could you imagine if Jesus would have just skipped the cross? Like, Jesus, you need to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world and to save everyone. And he's like, no, thank you. And just went right around it. Now imagine it never happened. And then he came and said, hey, everyone, be happy. Hey, have peace, have joy. Why? Just do. It would be a manufactured happiness, and I would dare to say it'd be fake, because there's no reason to be joyful, because at the end of the day, you know that it's really amounting to nothing. But here's what I would just say as well. When you skip over the pain of your life, when you skip over the pains of your own heart, and you just go, oh, I'm fine, I'm happy, things are good, it's doing the same thing. It's doing the same thing in your life. Because ultimately, feeling and processing the full hurt and the full pain of your life, the full sadness of your life, leads to happiness. Watch Inside Out. That's all I got to say. So in that, when you bury and when you deny, when you medicate, you put on a facade, you can't really have happiness without processing your, your pain. So my question to you is, What pain is built up in your life that God wants to deal with this morning? What pain is built up in your life that God wants to deal with in this next season of life? What pain is being built up? Maybe God wants you to change the way that you deal with pain altogether. Maybe he wants to change the whole system. Maybe you don't even know what it is. Because if I go, what's what's hurting in your life? And you're like, nothing. Nothing, Jeff. I don't feel like I have any pain. Maybe you do. But dealing with your pain isn't just necessarily identifying it. Dealing with your pain is making space to understand where pain is. It's like making pockets 
in your life to be able to see and go, that's a painful experience I've been masking. It's like turning on the light in your heart. You have to turn on the light, and then you got to clean. And so you have to have both. And so how do you do that? Well, first and foremost, I think this, how do you identify pain in your life, and what do you do with it? First and foremost, I think it's this. You have to understand that God is the first person you got to go to when processing pain and searching for pain. Not your surroundings, necessarily. See, oftentimes the issue isn't between us and the things that have caused our pain. Because a lot of it is, maybe certain things in your life have caused pain. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's a school system. Maybe it's a team. It's people. It's outer things that have caused a lot of the pain that has been caused to us. But you know what? When you look at the story of Joseph, he illustrates a beautiful truth, and it's this. You know, nowhere is it recorded that Joseph got the chance to fix stuff with the people around him, necessarily when it came to Potiphar's wife. He wasn't sitting in prison like, oh, I'm going to show her. (laughs) You know, like, I'm going to get her back. When I get out of here, I'm going to show her how wrong she was, and I'm going to make sure she pays. That's not necessarily righting a wrong. That's just revenge. But you don't see that in Joseph's story. What you see is someone going, even if he never gets the opportunity to talk with those things, he knows that reconciliation is really between him and God. And that's not just true of pain. That's true of anything in our lives. That we're, God is the first person that we need to go to with anything in our lives. And what I mean by that is not this. It's not like, hey, the building's on fire, but I'm bringing it to Jesus. Not like that. But hey, this is happening in my life or someone wronged me in my life or hey, I'm struggling with something in my life and that first and foremost needs to go to Jesus. You know, oftentimes um, it can be pretty easy to tell. I know in my own life, but also with others, it can be pretty easy to tell when someone is going to Jesus versus not going to Jesus in their life. And it's in this way, you can tell by the peace in the way that they approach something. Because there's always a reason, there's always a reason to have peace. And so you hear this panic in people's voices. I, I can't believe this is happening. I don't know what to do about this. Maybe you're someone in this room that has gone to everyone about the pain that you're dealing with, but you haven't gone to God with it. I think one of the hardest things for me to see as a pastor is to see people who are dealing with pain and they go to everyone. They go to the people that wronged them. And yet, they still can't, still can't sleep at night. They still can't deal with their own heart because it's not just an outer issue. It's a heart issue that's happening. It's between you and God first and foremost, and then the pieces fall into place. You know, it's interesting, and that's not to say that everything is a you issue and you don't have to deal with people. That is not what I'm saying right here. Because what you see in Joseph's story is his brothers wronged him, And Joseph got the opportunity to meet them face to face and to reconcile with them. But that didn't happen for at least a decade down the road. So what do you do in that time in between? How do you prepare your heart for that time? You have to meet with Jesus first before you meet with others. That's the only way to have balance in your life is by going to Jesus first with your life before going to other people. My personal devotion time looks like a boxing ring. Oftentimes with God, 
we just, we just fight through stuff. I fight with God. I wrestle with him through stuff. I wrestle with bitterness. I wrestle with offense. I wrestle with depression. I wrestle with sadness. And I wrestle with my pain with God. And from there, I'm able to reconcile and understand whatever's in front of me. Doesn't mean I never talk to people about my issues because there are things I do need to talk about and we need to talk about. But if you don't go to God first with your pain, it's just going to store up. It's just going to continue to store up. And God doesn't want you to live in that. God wants you to live in the fullness of healing and forgiveness. I'm going to call the worship team back up as well because God helps us to process to forgive and to heal and to deal with pain. But this is how God deals with pain, and this is why it's so important to bring it to, your, to bring it to him. And this is why God's grace is enough, whether or not you get an opportunity to, to reconcile with people around you or not. Because a lot of the pains that we deal with, you know, the truth of the matter is we're not going to get the opportunity face-to-face to fix a lot of the problems that people caused. Did you know that? There are things that we have to reconcile in our heart on behalf of that. I hope you do get every opportunity to reconcile certain things. If somebody hurt you in your life, I hope that someday there's reconciliation and forgiveness and understanding. But living in a sinful world, sometimes we don't always get that. But we do have a God that helps us to reconcile and to heal and to forgive, even if we don't get that opportunity. And this is how that happens. Because God helps us deal with our pain because he took it upon himself. That's important at the end of the day. It's like this world puts pain on our shoulders and it just continues to build up and up and up and up. And what do we do? We take it off and we put it on Jesus' shoulders. That's what God has called us to do. Is We're going to put this on you, God, because he took the full weight of the world on his shoulders. He can bear that. We can't. What it says in Isaiah 53, speaking of Jesus, it says... In verse 4, Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, was, that brought us peace was on him and in this. And by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds, by his pain, we get to be healed of our pain. So I'm going to ask us to do something. I'm going to ask phones, Bibles, notes away. And we're going to respond in this way right now. I'm going to ask that we respond in this way that um, maybe you're here. And maybe you're someone that um, is dealing with a lot of pain. Maybe you're someone that's here um, and you've been dealing with pain in the wrong way. Maybe you don't even deal with it at all because you just never expected to have pain in your life because you follow Jesus. Maybe you're in here and you don't even know Jesus, but you're dealing with pain and you didn't know that Jesus was someone who could take your pain and your sins away. And if that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. Maybe you're here and you you know you have pain in your life, but you have no clue what it is or why it is. You need to make space. You need to come to God right now with that pain. You need to make space in your life to feel what your heart needs to feel. Maybe you've hardened your heart and you've become cynical, it's, it's become almost like a joke, in a sense, when really it's not. And God wants your heart to be softened, and he wants to make your heart whole again. 
And if that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. And so I want you guys to bow your head with me. I'm going to offer a response um, as well, just as we pray. If that's, um, if you're feeling like that this morning, when we start worship, I'm going to ask that you just come up to the front. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever pain, whatever you want to bring to Jesus right now, whatever you want to put on his shoulders right now, I'm just going to ask that you come forward for worship up to the front. We're family. We get to do this together. When one goes up to the front, everyone goes up to the front. Because we bear each other's burdens is what God's word says. So Jesus, we come before you and we acknowledge that you took our pain and you take our pain and you'll always take our pain from us. God, we just acknowledge that there are parts of us that are hurting. There are parts of us that, Lord, we can't deal with ourselves. God, forgive us and help us to deal with pain that we've been denying or bearing or we've just become cynical of. Lord, help us to deal right now with things that we're, we're using to medicate. Lord, if there are things in our lives that we're using to medicate our pain right now, would you remove them right now? Whether it's sin or whether it's just things of the world, Jesus, would you get rid of them right now? Lord, would you give us the strength to make a decision and a commitment to get rid of certain things that are medicating our pain and keeping it at bay rather than being dealt with and healed by you? Jesus, we give that to you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.